0: This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to oneandall.media.
1: Because of what happened in Jerusalem, this new community broke the social barriers and genuinely encouraged one another, celebrated one another, and gave themselves to the upward mobility of everyone else. Number one, they accepted each other regardless of race, language, or socioeconomic standing. Two, they stopped viewing life as a competition and everyone else as the opposition. Three, they did not see their possessions as their own, but rather embraced community by sharing whatever they had
0: today 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 with jeff fines my name's aaron and you're listening to today with jeff fines welcome back to the program as we continue pastor jeff's message taking a look at acts chapter 2 and first peter verse 22 Pastor Jeff is looking at when devout Jews arrived in Jerusalem from all around the world to celebrate Passover and Pentecost. And during these celebrations, they witnessed something supernatural that would change many lives forever. We'll pick up midway through, but if you need to catch up, just search for Today with Jeff finds wherever you get your podcasts and catch up there. Let's hop in with Pastor Jeff to finish this message.
1: In human flesh, we are frail, we are lost, we're all in the same boat, it's sinking, but Jesus Christ saved us all. And what happened in Jerusalem that day did not stay in Jerusalem, it changed the world. Because one, they accepted each other regardless of race, language, or socioeconomic standing because they realized the most fundamental level, they're all the same, sinners saved by grace, waiting for the redemption of the body and soul. But there's a second thing. They stopped viewing life as a competition and everyone else is an opposition. You understand that? They, they stopped viewing life as a competition and everyone else as the, the opposition. In other words, they stopped stomping on everybody else's balloon. As you read through the annals of history, you discover that this is part of what made Christianity so unique and compelling. Suddenly, you have these new communities all over the known world rising up where people did not use other people as a means to an end, but rather they affirmed one another's strengths, abilities, and gifts. They honored one another, Romans 2.10. They confirmed one another, Romans 12 through 8. In 2016, some of you will remember that I was asked to be the vice president of the North American Christian Convention, and Dave Stone, who's spoken here quite a few times and actually is going to speak again next year, Dave came to California and he said, look, I I love golf. I know you do. Let's go golfing. So we went golfing. This was back when you could still afford to play at Pelican Hills down in Newport. So we got the afternoon uh, rate, the cheap rate after everyone else has gone home. And we began to play a game of golf with two other of my friends. Now, there was a rumor going around at that time. This is when I could actually play. There was a rumor going around that Uh, If we were to have a pastoral golf tournament, that I would win. So when we set out to play, immediately in my mind, this is what I started thinking about. I got to show this guy that I can beat pastors, other pastors in our movement in the game of golf. That was my whole thing. During the game of golf, Dave spent the entire time encouraging everyone else and making sure everyone else had a good time while I was trying to prove something about my golf game. He spent the entire time. He seemed to be more concerned about building everyone up than he was his own game. And the reason is because his security on that day is in the identity he has in Christ, not on how good he plays the game of golf. Do You know, in Romans 15, we're told, accept one another just as Christ accepted you. And in 1 Peter 5, clothe yourself with humility toward one another. I wish I had developed this completely and fully into my life, and I have not. And it's like I said last week, please don't think that everything that I'm talking about in this scripture, in this message, I have it totally going in the right direction in my own life. I don't. But I can tell you this it's not working. And it won't work for you either. Christ's followers who had been to Jerusalem ceased going through life, pushing and shoving and stepping on others to show their superiority. Instead, they spend their lives in community with other Christ followers, encouraging them to reach their fullest potential in every walk of life. And in cities throughout the world, like Galatia, they had listened to the words of the Apostle Paul and did, in fact, Galatians 6, 2, carry one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. When Delaney was a little boy, and we lived in New Zealand, Interesting dynamic. You know, he couldn't wait uh, to the time when I would say, Delaney, you're old enough now, you can mow the grass. I mean, he just wanted to mow the grass. He saw dad mowing the lawn. I want to be like dad. I want to mow the grass. Of course, when they become teenagers, they never do it again. But in this particular occasion, I allowed Delaney to mow the grass. And he had mown the grass. And now he's picking up the grass, putting it in a wheelbarrow, and trying to take it up to a a central location there where the, the grass man would collect it during the week. As he put the grass in the wheelbarrow, he's trying to push it up the hill. It rained a little bit the day before, and he just couldn't do it, but he wouldn't ask for help. So I I stood there just watching my little boy try to push this wheelbarrow. And finally, he was up and he said, Dad, can you help me? I walked down to the bottom of the hill, and we both got onto the wheelbarrow. He on the left, me on the right. And I noticed something. Sometimes when you have an experience like this, God speaks a word to you. You always gotta be listening. God always has a word at the right time. And I noticed in order to help the Lanny carry this burden, I had, it was absolutely essential that I come in close proximity. There had to be a certain closeness. We had to do this together. To, To carry someone else's burden, you have to come very close. You cannot do it from a distance. Do you know what you find in the early Christians? Because of what happened on the day of Pentecost and the weeks following, suddenly we find that white-collar people began helping blue-collar people to become white-collar people. Those with business acumen started helping those that did not have business acumen. Those with connections began helping those without connections. Those who were wealthy began helping the less fortunate. Those with wisdom assisting others In life principles, that began to occur. Those with wisdom started assisting others who didn't have perhaps the amount of wisdom needed to be successful in life and endeavors. I'm not sure why we think that the first Christians just sat around praying all the time. Pray they did, but they also got to work, assisting each other, teaching each other, equipping each other for future success in almost every area. That's why we read in the book of Acts about Simon the Tanner and Lydia and Dorcas, both successful businesswomen. We read of Barnabas in Acts chapter four, of Cornelius in Acts 10, of Sergius Paulus in Acts 13, of Jason in Acts 17, of Priscilla and Aquila in Acts 18, of Nansen of Cyprus in Acts 21, of Philemon and Philemon one. All of whom were early disciples of Jesus who used their wealth to expand Christ's kingdom throughout the empire. Because of what happened in Jerusalem, this new community broke the social barriers and genuinely encouraged one another, celebrated one another, and gave themselves to the upward mobility of everyone else. Number one, they accepted each other regardless of race, language, or socioeconomic standing. Two, they stopped viewing life as a competition and everyone else as the opposition. Three, they did not see their possessions as their own, but rather embraced community by sharing whatever they had. I remember when Dane Johnson was with us, I remember one weekend when he was preaching, told a story about a woman who was in an airport who had bought a little bag of chocolate chip cookies and sat in the waiting area to await her plane's takeoff. And there's a guy across the table from her whom she didn't know. And he was obviously, she said, from India because he was wearing a turban and didn't seem to speak any English. And in between she and this Indian man, there was a, a table with a bag of chocolate chip cookies. Much to her surprise, and without saying anything, this guy reached over on the other side, opened the bag of cookies, and took one out and ate it. She was taken back by this. She said, so, so I reached down, I took a cookie, and I started to eat it to assert my ownership. And of course, his response, he just smiled, nodded, reached down, took another cookie, started eating it. She reached down, took two cookies, and ate both of them, even though she wasn't even hungry. She wanted to send a clear and direct message. These are mine. The guy smiled, took two more cookies and ate them, and they kept going like this until the bag was empty. She was livid. Finally, she walked onto the plane, took her seat, looked into her purse, and found the bag of chocolate chip cookies that she had bought. It had been his bag all along. Not only had he not taken her stuff, she had taken his. Something very radical happened in the minds and hearts of these early believers when they received the gospel and were changed by the Spirit of God. We know by history. That the impact of that day of Pentecost and beyond extended to their attitude toward their possessions. It did not result in the complete elimination of private ownership, that's ridiculous. Nor did it result in the legal collectivization of the church into community organizations that corporately owned everything. It accomplished something far more powerful and profound. It produced people who owned things, but they lived is if they did not. Men and women whose transformed hearts did not regard their possessions as their own and who freely gave it up to those who were in need. And the pull and beauty of this community was so strong that it obliterated the selfishness that tends to be part of the human experience today. Again, not because they were noble, not because that enjoying one's possessions is somehow inherently bad or wrong, but it was because they had discovered something much better than just trying to hoard everything in your possession. They started to think about their stuff and they began to ask the question, who will benefit from this? How can I use my stuff to delight the heart of God? How can I bring hope to someone? How can I lift someone up? How can I avoid storing up treasures on earth and I might store up treasures in heaven? And it was all based upon the apostles' doctrine they had discovered back in Jerusalem that since Christ himself left his home in glory, rather than holding on to his riches, forsook them all, sacrificed himself to people who did not deserve it, who were not asking for it, many of whom will reject it. In the greatest act of generosity known to mankind, Jesus gave it all. I started thinking, and I don't think I've figured it out yet, But maybe our hearts are right about wanting to live in community. But we're so busy doing other things, we just don't have time. And maybe we're pursuing and stockpiling. And maybe we're spending our time on entertaining ourselves and spending our resources on ourselves. So even though our heart wants to live in community, helping and assisting others, we just don't have time to do it. But one of the stories, one of the narratives in the Bible that inspires me the most, believe it or not, is the story of Zacchaeus. And not just because Jesus said, come out of the tree, you know, I'm coming to your house today, but because of the timing. If you know anything about the story and about those final days of Jesus' life, the passion of the Christ, then you'll know when Jesus comes into Zac- uh, to Zacchaeus' town, He's got just a few days left before he's going to die on the cross. And the same people who are yelling, Hosanna, Hosanna, are going to be yelling, crucify him in a matter of moments. The reality of the cross must have been heavy on on Jesus' heart. It would have weighed heavy on his shoulders because he was living in and around Palestine. He would have seen probably hundreds of crucifixions. So he knows what's in store for him. So in a short amount of time, he's going to accomplish something pretty important, the salvation of the world. And as I see what Jesus says and how he responds to Zacchaeus, a part of me says, you know, you could have excused Jesus if he would have said, Peter, uh, you know what? You deal with Zacchaeus. I've got a lot on my plate right now. Or if he had said, Matthew, you are a tax collector. You speak with Zacchaeus. You understand his language. Go get him down out of the tree. Take him home with you and explain to him the good news. I'm rather busy right now. I've got a very important task of dying for the sins of the world. In fact, even while Jesus was dying, A thief on the cross beside him had the audacity to interrupt Jesus' suffering with a request, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And I always thought, you know, you could have excused Jesus had he said, excuse me, I'm I'm busy, I'm dying right now. Can I just have this one moment in all of my life to myself? I've got the whole sins of the world on my shoulders. Can I have just one moment of peace? But he didn't. He said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Come on in out of the shadows. You don't need to hide anymore. You're safe with me. I've always found this intriguing because while Jesus was hanging on the cross, feeling the venomous hate of his persecutors, bearing all the punishment of all who would believe throughout the ages, at that very same moment, he was available and aware to one sinner who needed to come home. Folks, that's number four and the final one. They possess the spiritual discipline of paying attention to people. Now, hang with me. We just don't pay attention to each other anymore. And the reason is because we're too busy. And I'm not slamming you. I'm, I'm saying that we, maybe this is why we're not as compelling in the West as the church has been in the past. Maybe it has something to do with it. Maybe there's something that has to happen. Maybe we have to get our home, our houses in order, in order to speak a powerful word to the generation in which we are called. We don't pay attention to each other that much anymore. There's a cost to that. And our lives are far too complex. And we refuse to simplify our lives and therefore become like the seed in Matthew 13 that gets choked out by the cares of the world. And my heart has been heavy for a message like this for a long time because I know we're not living in community, real community. But I have been frustrated because I don't know how... To convince you, and I know it's not my job to convince. I preach the word of the Spirit of God, but surely God can use me to be a mouthpiece. My time in Turkey was invaluable for so many reasons, but I learned something valuable as able to sit and think and pray about this thing of community. And I want to be very honest with you the reason we don't live like the first church is because it is too costly. Tim Keller says, because of the idols and habits of our hearts. Now, what does he mean? Because of the things we're pursuing other than Jesus. Church events simply become places that individuals focus on themselves in the presence of others. You hear what he's saying? Even going to church or going to a community group, it's still all about me. It takes deep reflection and costly commitment to live in community. People require grace. There's a cost to it. People are needy, and I don't really trust people. I don't really need people. And the operative word again is I. And during my time in Turkey, I finally figured something out. You know, my friend Marco said one other thing that I haven't shared yet. He said, you know, you Americans are extremely generous, but we in Turkey, the Amans, ask us for money to build our mosque, and we just won't give it, so the government has to build them. Isn't that interesting? He says, you Americans are generous. But the imams can't even get us to give money to build mosque. I wanted to say at that moment, so you're not as religious as you think you are. But then I asked him the question, "Why do you help each other?" Then he said, "Because we're Turks. We're brothers. We've walked in each other's shoes. There's an understanding that we are all the same." We're of the same nation, the same people, the same race. I shudder to think of what's happening right now in our country. They are trying to divide and conquer us. People that were friends in the past have been divided over vaccinations and over the flag and over political parties. And this is always the beginning of the destruction of anything. Jesus said, a house divided, cannot, will not stand. And here's this man saying, the reason we help, we may not build the mosque, but we, we never fail to help each other. And the reason is because we're brothers, we're Turks. We've all walked in each other's shoes. I'm trying to say to you that we pastors have failed you and that we have been telling you how desperately you need to be in community as if it's all about you still how you need community, how you need accountability, how you need fellowship, how your life will be so much better in community. That is correct in every way, but it's the wrong approach because it's still about you. The real issue is this. Have you been changed and transformed so powerfully by the gospel that you now have a genuine care and concern for your brother and your sister? for people who aren't like you, for people who make you nervous, for people who are different, for people who are messed up and have messed up their lives. If you're so well put together, then isn't it loving for you to be a part of a community who features people who aren't? In that way, are you not most like Jesus when you are generous and sacrificial when you give yourself away to something you think may not benefit you. Chris Fink convinced me to go home on Sunday night and watch the 9-11 documentary on Hulu. And I started watching it, and it's very difficult to watch. The firefighters, New York's finest, these are amazingly brave and courageous men and women. And after the first plane hit the tower, and just before the second plane hit the second tower, bodies began to fall. They were jumping to escape the heat. And you can hear the sound of the splat onto the ground. And you can see the firemen's faces, never having been in a situation like this. And then in what is broadcast as genuine footage, you see these firefighters lock arms together and they look at each other just about before they're going to ascend into an inferno, a hellish inferno. They look at each other and they say, gentlemen, we may not live through today. They stopped and took the time to shake each other's hands and wish each other good luck. And then they said, it's been great knowing you. They ran into the fire knowing they would probably die, knowing that they would not make it out alive. In fact, only one of those firemen came back to tell the story. But the thought of rescuing some motivated them to give the greatest sacrifice to save many. Friends, that's the gospel. Will you go in to community knowing it may cost you greatly because suddenly you have realized that's what Jesus did for you. That's what happened in Jerusalem. It dawned on them what Jesus had done, how could they possibly not do it for one another? It is my prayer in Jesus' name that as we pursue Jesus, we would never forget the important importance of living in community, helping, assisting, encouraging one another, sacrificing, becoming extremely generous. Our brother and sister in Christ, because that's what Jesus did for us. Father, thank you for the power of community, the power of your word, the power of your revelation to us. And I pray through this historical journey, that somehow in the midst of all this, our eyes would be open to the call on our lives as if it is a natural byproduct of a genuine commitment to Christ to live in community with those. Who desperately need the touch, who desperately need someone to say, I am available to you. Although you're not like me, your life is messed up. Maybe it's not what I think it should be. The reality is neither is mine. We are all like grass withering away. Let us invest in one another as Christ has invested in us. I pray that that would be the case in Christ's name. Amen.
0: You've been listening to Today with Jeff finds. Thanks for joining us. Next time, we'll bring you a new message from Pastor Jeff.
1: My interest lies in how we Christ followers respond to a fallen world who oppresses us. And as I watch this nation become more and more divided, where even churches become so possessed with politics that it would appear to outsiders that our real hope and security... Is it this
0: world, not in the world to come? You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Fines wherever you listen to podcasts.